Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 22 of the Speaking Club podcast. So this year, Ash Wednesday and Valentine's fell on the same day, with Ash Wednesday accurately symbolising the likely relationship outcome for those men who thought a household appliance was a suitable Valentine's gift. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Hey, hey. So welcome. If you've ever wanted to get the lowdown on speaker bureaus, how they work, what they're looking for in speakers, what sort of fees you can expect to get, what your showreel should be like, and what you should think be thinking about to become a great speaker or a paid speaker, then you'll love this show. Maria Fransoni has been in the speaking business for over 20 years and she's got a speaker bureau that works with some of the best speakers in the world. So she knows her stuff. I know, right? Sounds great. Well, there's lots more fab stuff to come on this podcast. So make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review. I love a bit of feedback. Well, except on the audio. Okay, let's get to it. Matchmaker, secret ringmaster, entrepreneur, someone who makes things happen, and owner of MFL Speaker Bureau, welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, Maria Franzoni. Thank you very much for having me. I'm honoured. Well, I'm, I'm honoured. I'm honoured. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fascinating, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you, I've had a look, had a hunt round looking at your background, and it's, it's, uh, it's a journey from retail into consultancy and language schools and all sorts. So, how, how did you get you know, into what you're doing today, which is running a speaker bureau. You really have done your research, haven't you? You've gone back into the days <laughs> when I started as a child working um, in retail, in fact. And uh, yes, so how did I get into it? So I worked in management consultancy, as you mentioned, and in management consultancy, you're dealing with some really senior people and you're basically bossing them around, which is what I like to do on a daily basis, really. And I saw this cryptic advert to say, are you able to negotiate at senior level? Are you phased by people who you know, have high profiles? And I thought, no, not at all, because I've been sitting in front of CEOs basically telling them that their business is you know, going down the pan and they need to shake things up. So I thought, well, I can talk to anybody. I'm, I'm not phased. I had no idea what the job entailed, but I knew that I didn't want to be doing what I was currently doing and I wanted a change. And so I went for an interview uh, with a very well-established, still uh, very good speaker bureau. I'm not going to advertise my competitors here on this show. <laughs> very wise, very wise. That's why a successful businesswoman. <laughs> well, I, I, it's awful when your competition is good. And so I definitely, they don't need the advertising. And um, so I had an interview with, with the big boss and he told me about this whole industry of speaker bureaus and events and where people paid experts to come and talk and I thought oh I fancy a bit of that I quite like that and of course having been in management consultancy having been in retail I'd also run a business business is my thing I love business I'm not a speaker I'm not a performer I hide behind the speakers and push them forwards so I'm usually behind stage not on the stage and that for me I thought that really appeals because it has that great opportunity for me to keep learning and I really feel that sometimes I'm actually 
not really in the real world and I have to sort of you know pinch myself because I'm working with the best of the best in their fields yeah because I, I I looked at something else that you did so or that you do in another organization that you're part of you know I think it's we think we do things differently and I was looking and everyone had a video except for you and I was like well, what the Maria's video is so so the fact that you like to be behind the scenes sort of explains and they did the the ringmaster quote was was from one of your colleagues in that organization so that's that's interesting so uh, the the power behind everything really and it's an interesting speaking seems to have taken off exponentially recently I, this is only my take so you, you, this is what i'm interested in your take on this i don't know whether it's the advent of things like ted talks and stuff like that but how do you think the landscapes changed for speakers and speaker bureaus and why it's changed incredibly i mean i've been doing this for 20 years so if you imagine when i started working in a speaker bureau we were using telexes i don't know if you're old enough to know what a telex is probably not and we were confirming contracts by fax. So the technology has caused things to change dramatically. The, the internet has had a huge effect on the business. So when I started in the industry, there were a lot of clients who realized the benefit of bringing speakers in and bringing experts in. And there were actually very few experts who were doing it. And you had to go out and recruit them. And so you had a, a, a small roster and it was very easy to be a speaker bureau because you had your selected roster of world experts and you were selling those guys and representing those guys and matchmaking for them. So 20 years on, it seems that everybody, the whole world and his dog is now an expert. And if they're good at marketing, they can create their persona online and they can sell themselves for a lot of money. So the, problem with that is that there's not always a lot of substance when you scratch the surface and so bureau actually comes into its own in that respect in that we do filter people out that doesn't mean to say that because you're not a speaker bureau book that you're not good um, I personally don't take everybody on because I don't want to let anybody down if I can't give you enough work it's not fair to use your name and to advertise you so people work differently but yes yeah, so it's changed dramatically also the internet allows clients to go direct to speakers and the problem there is if the, the client doesn't really know if the client doesn't really know what they want or who they want or who's out there they may book someone that they know because they know how to get to them if they know that that's the right person it's the right match that's fantastic they don't need a bureau but many times they're missing out on perhaps the perfect match because they're not asking the bureau to help them that's really interesting. I mean, there's a, a few things that you said there that I'd like to dig into. I mean, I think th there are a lot of, and I, I need to be careful how I phrase this, but there are a lot of people with a compelling story. You can make a story of, of hardship, something awful happened into, an ins you know, into something that motivates and ins inspires people. But there seems to be a high number of these now, and and I I I, I agree with you in terms of in the, not necessarily experts, but with a story to tell. Do you have a mix of both on your books? Is is the first question? Yes, there is a mix of both because clients want different things. Sometimes a client wants an inspirational story. It's important that they know what they want. 
Other times a client wants some kind of change to take place or some kind of rethink to take place. So a story has a value. We love stories. We've loved stories from the beginning of time. We read books, we, we watch movies, we watch televisions. We, you know, we have guilty secrets. Some of us watch soaps, you know, and um, we, all, we love a story, but also a story helps you to remember what someone has said and you can relate to it. So actually I love storytellers. Some of my favorite speakers are brilliant storytellers. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. For me, I'm a massive advocate of storytelling, but I think there has to be, you know, I think what I often hear is, you need to have it's good to have stories and use stories but if something that happened to you is the only thing that you've got you know when you speak i think a lot of organizations want a speaker that can also provide actionable tips provide value and it's i guess it's that thing that i'm questioning you know is a story of something bad that happened to you that you moved on from in itself good enough or do you need something else to be able to to deliver to the sort of clients that you um, you have on your in your roster, I think it depends very much on the audience. For our audiences, who are businesses and corporates, they want to say, well, what are the lessons from this that we can take away and apply to business? That's important. But there are other audiences who simply want to be entertained and hear a lovely story, and you know, who wouldn't love to hear somebody's wonderful adventures and see beautiful pictures and you know storytelling why not so it, it, it depends very much on the audience for business yeah you really want what are the lessons how can we apply it what are the takeaways because you're trying constantly to improve and really you're trying to be faster and better than everybody else absolutely okay the other thing that you said that i want to just um peel back a little bit is the matchmaking side of things you know i think quite often in business you know you people have an idea of what they want but it's not actually what they need and I'm getting a sense from you that the matchmaking angle is where you really can get into into it with the client in terms of you know this is what you want but I think actually maybe or maybe even not telling them but giving them what you what they need um is is that is that fair in terms of what you guys do well that is spot on. It's absolutely spot on. And actually, it's the same in relationships. If you think about matchmaking in that respect, what you want and what you need may not be the same thing. Uh, that's down to really the expertise of the person who's helping you to do the matchmaking. That person really needs to understand what is going on in your organization. What are the issues? What are the things that you need to address and then really understand the speakers well and that's another reason why I like to call us a boutique bureau I can't take on everybody because I can't understand and know what every single speaker can deliver so I, the ones that I have I'm, I'm confident that I can say this is the result you'll get this is what they can do and certainly some clients come to you with things that you've never thought of topics and areas that you thought, well, oh, that's interesting. So you've got to then know your people to say, I know that person has had something similar or has dealt with this or dealt with that. You have to have that knowledge. And so it's a huge amount of things you have to keep in your head. And the other thing is the style of the speaker, because some speakers' styles will work very well with some audiences and not others. So that you have to know and be really confident about too. And then I heard this the other day and it was just an anecdote. Clients from businesses or wherever may come to you and say, you know, we want this speaker, but we've only got this budget. And, and I think the tactic that the, the speaker 
uh, agency used in that or in that uh, scenario was to say well you know how would you rate your audience from one to ten how important are they and they came up with a number and they said well this speaker's up here <laughs> number 10 do you, do you often get that scenario where there's a mismatch between budget and and what they want Every day, every day. It's the biggest problem, really, that um, I call it um, champagne taste and beer money, uh, because my mom says that about me, you see. And so, yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. So you then got the, 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 the quandary. Do I go to the speaker that they want and insult them with an insulting offer? Or do I convince the client that they are wrong? and say, listen, it's not appropriate. And sometimes I think some clients who are not experienced just don't understand why the numbers are so high. And basically what you're getting in your 45 minute keynote or hour keynote or 30 minute is all of that expertise that that person has distilled into that short period of time. And if it's a big name, that person not only is bringing you that, but they're also putting bums on seats. They're creating an experience. Nobody will ever forget shaking Neil Armstrong's hand, for example, if you've met him, sadly departed. Nobody will forget that who actually brought them to an event and allowed them to shake his hand. And there are other people out there. I deliberately chose somebody who's not here, so I won't offend anybody who, <laughs> who I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of stuff, you see, that's where the, 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 the money goes to, really. That's what it's about. It's an investment in, in, in the event, isn't it, really? Great. And... Now, from everything that I've read, both on your website, uh, in terms of what, what the mission is that comes across, it seems like MFL is different. Uh, how would you describe the difference and, and why do you think it's necessary for your bureau to be different? Do you know what? The competition in this space is huge. You are competing with a huge number of bureaus, not only in the UK, but internationally. I, I don't know the number. I would love to know the number. If somebody out there could do the research, it would be fascinating to know how many bureaus are out there. But you're also competing with speakers who are selling themselves directly because, of course, a client will buy however many speakers they need. And it doesn't matter where they buy them from. But so the competition is enormous. So you do have to have some kind of differentiating factor. And I, I think every bureau will say, you know, we're brilliant with this, with that and the other. I suppose what differentiates us, um, I hope, is that we, we don't believe we're in the B2B business or the B2C business. We're in the H to H business. We're in the human to human business. We've got a personality. We're not very corporate. We do like to have a laugh. We are human. Uh, we, we get it wrong. If we get it wrong, we tell you, you know, if, um, if, if we, you know, get upset about something which we shouldn't, we are really human and we want our clients to be human and our speakers to be human. So I'm not sure if that is a, a great differentiator, but I, I think it is a differentiator for us. Yeah, I think, that, you know, the, the feedback that I've seen is that you're very speaker focused um and something that resonated with me was that that line that you have about having a sense of humor um and, and from some of the things that you said i'm i'm assuming that you need a sense of humor in your line of work <laughs> have you got any anecdotes it's very difficult you see, I, I keep threatening to write a book but i probably wouldn't be able to do it until i've definitely retired <laughs> But I've got so many stories. I'm, I can't reveal them till I've had a couple of drinks really in a bar and uh, I can't name names. So <laughs> yeah, you, you do have to, sometimes you have aha moments. But I remember the first year I was in this business, I had probably every single thing that could go wrong in the very first year of working in this industry. 
And I was employed by somebody then and I went to the boss and I said, you know, I'm pulling my hair out. I cannot believe that, you know, I had a speaker die on me. I had um, a client default on payment. I had, uh, I had all sorts, everything you could imagine. And he said to me something really brilliant. He said, Maria, in one year, you have had the experience of somebody else in a lifetime in this industry. You will know what to do in every situation. You will never have a moment of doubt as to what the solution is. And, and that has actually proved true. Even if you have a scenario, we think, oh my goodness, you, you can relate it to something. I say, oh, okay, I know what to do here because the things that happen are just crazy. I have to, I have to buy you a drink sometime and get the, and get the low down. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. I'm presuming he died or she died before they were due to speak or not, not on stage or after or? Yeah, no, before due. Thought they were due to speak yes yes no they didn't die on stage no <laughs> so uh interesting thing you said there now uh, a lot of speakers are going direct that is something that people can do i think um and i'm going to come on to advice for speakers you know who are just starting out but there are a lot of speakers who um i would say take the view that they'll speak about anything you know everything that i've heard and everything that i tell my clients is pick a niche you know be because there is a lot of competition out there uh, is that something that you would subscribe to absolutely there are speakers who say i can talk about everything i can't sell you if you talk about everything because i don't know where you fit so the niche is really important but also if you speak about everything how can you be an expert on anything in reality so i i would i totally agree with you the advice you're giving is is spot on Cool. And then it'd be interesting to get a sense of life on the other side of the fence. And I think we've had a hint of it. But what is what's a typical day like for, for you guys in the Speaker Bureau world? But, you know, there is no such thing as a typical day in reality. You don't say, oh, between nine and ten, I'm going to do this and this and that and that. You're very reactive and responsive to what's coming in at you from clients, because in reality, you are you are responding to clients requests and you're working at their pace. And there are many last minute merchants, as I like to call them out there, who either have only just decided they want a speaker or they need a speaker, or they've had somebody who was going to do it and now hasn't confirmed and they're coming to you last minute. So, so your days do tend to be very responsive and reactive. When I can get out to go to an event, I do. I like to see my speakers in action. I like to sort of do a bit of quality control uh, and also to keep up with them because if you imagine every single person we're working with is constantly developing themselves. So you're trying to keep up with them and keep up with what they're doing and, and what they're now talking about. So that's quite hard work. So I suppose the thing that happens for us every day is we're, we're trying to cram and keep up with everybody, keep up with clients, where they're going, keep up with speakers, what they're talking about, and then make sure that the two are informed about the other. God, but it does sound quite quite hectic and roughly how many speakers have you got on your books just just so that we can get some idea of the volume of how much work is involved well that's a, a depends what you define as books because of course we have the details of a load of speakers that potentially aren't on the website if you're asking me how many speakers do we work with on a regular basis it's probably about 200 250 Cool. That's, that's actually not, I mean, it's a lot, but it's not that many considering the number of speakers that are out there. And I guess that's a nice segue into um, the question, what I want to ask next, which is what criteria are you looking for a speaker to meet before you consider taking them 
onto your books in terms of having that regular sort of relationship with them? Okay, that's an interesting question because I get approached probably by about 20 speakers a day who will contact me to get on the books. And that sounds like a lot. That's probably not a lot to some of my competitors who are, who are bigger because we are quite a small bureau. So people will probably go to the bigger ones first. And of those 20, I probably will take on, on one out of those 20. I actually prefer to go and find the speakers that I know I need. So I've taken on three new speakers in the last two weeks, but I went out and got them. So I contacted them, went to meet them, went to talk to them and said, this is why I want you. Because I want to take on people that I know I've got a market for and that I have a gap in my roster for. So I, I don't know if you're going to ask me what not to do, but I've got a whole list of what not to do if you want to join a bureau. <laughs> oh, I, 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 think I, I think that's a question coming up, but let's deal with it now. Let's, let's go for it. Okay, what, what not, not to, to do. do? What not to do? Please do not send one of those emails where you've sent it to everybody. And I mean, I had one this week where they've put a name in. So I know it's gone to loads of people and it's hi there or hi, dear sir, dear madam. I know you have no idea who I am. If you want me to give you attention, show me that you've done some research, show me that you know about me and show me that you want to have a relationship with me and that, that we're a fit. So that's the thing that drives me mad. And of course, my reaction to that is when I get one of those, I just want to delete it. And I've got one of my team, Sean, who doesn't want to be rude to anybody. She'll respond to everybody. And I'm saying to her, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to be doing something else. And she gets herself in the right tears because she, she, she cannot be rude, you see. She's too human, really. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Don't do that. I would say do some research. You did some research. Have a look. So if there's a gap in the roster, for what you talk about and who you are then absolutely and that's why you're contacting me and you found out who to contact because most bureaus have people's names at least you know contact a person or find out who is the person to contact and in fact some of the bureaus even tell you who to contact they make it very easy but people still don't follow that process so if there's a gap do that but have a look at the kind of people that are on that roster are you there Many speakers come to me when they're not quite there yet and I can't take them on because a bureau cannot take somebody and develop them. They haven't got the time. One or two bureaus will take a punt and do that with maybe one or two speakers. But certainly I don't have the capacity to take somebody who's starting out and get them from zero to the level they need to be. So normally we need you when you're at a level already and the bureau is adding then to your speaking as opposed to starting you off. I get you. So you, you really need to have already established some sort of platform and, and, and pedigree, if you like, before you, because then you become more marketable is essentially what you're saying. A client that's coming to a bureau wants to know that they're coming and they're getting a certain standard of speaker. Otherwise, you know, that you diminish the whole offering if you're, You've got people who are untested, who haven't really got that level of pedigree. This is my view. And please beware that everything I'm saying is my opinion. I am sure my competitors will have other opinions and won't entirely agree with me. I hope on the whole we're speaking from the same uh, platform. Right, but then they're not on the show, so we, we don't care about <laughs> I, I, I will just chat. I'll just test this with one thing. So is the bar lower for speakers where the topic is so hot because i'm thinking blockchain cryptocurrency it's 
all you're hearing about at the moment. And I suspect there may be some blockchain and crypto experts that are not as developed as other speakers, but potentially would be interesting to you or other speaker bureaus because of their knowledge of, of that area. Is that fair? Yes, that is fair. That does happen. And what you'll find then is that the bureau will take time to help that person develop their speaking. It's rare, actually, that um, that does happen. And in fact, we've got speakers on blockchain, we've got speakers on crypto that are established, that are great speakers that have the profile, because you are going to go to a higher level. But there will be times where you've got somebody that's talking about something that is so new and needs some assistance in their style and approach, because they've got they've got a gift in terms of their expertise. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So I think really, I mean, one of the questions I've got next is, is what advice would you give to speakers who are just starting out or, or who want to make the transition into paid speaking? But I think one of the things, first of all, to say, just from what you've said is that absolutely find your niche. And if you can speak on a range of things, and you are an expert on a number of things, try and find that niche, which is a gap, or, or where there. I mean, there, I guess there needs to be some competition, because otherwise people maybe there's no demand for it but find something where where the competition is dinner is that is that right that's brilliant you see you could do this you don't need me here <laughs> yes i do <laughs> I, I i haven't got 20 years experience running a speaker bureau so <laughs> absolutely. you're spot on you've absolutely assessed it perfectly um and i think you were asking how does somebody move into the paid speaking what's the advice i would yes. give so i see an awful lot of people teaching speakers to be speakers out there. And I see them teaching speakers all sorts of things. Normally it's about their speaking content and their presentation skills. I think there are very few people who are really talking about the commercials part. And often the commercial part, if they are talking about it, they're talking about selling from stage and teaching them to do that. So if you wanna go in the corporate world, you are not selling from stage, you cannot sell from stage because you are being paid to speak. So it's a different animal. So it's all about you and all about your profile. So just do everything properly. Do it right. Get your profile right. Get your videos right. Get your testimonials right. Get your website right. And then what you should do is look at who the people are out there that you want to be like and see if you can get someone to coach you or mentor you or join a group where those people are and fast track yourself. Ask the stupid questions to your fellow colleagues or, or people who are a few steps ahead of you don't cut your teeth in front of a client that, that's really that's really good advice I, one thing I wanted to pick up on there you know uh speaker videos or yeah what in what should I mean there's a lot of people who might go out there and spend I don't know thousands on getting something because they think they need to is that the case what 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 would you be looking at in terms of a video what is it is it the quality or is it the content or what is it well let me tell you actually one of the speakers we work with uh, a few years ago didn't have very good quality video she had one video and we created a fantastic showreel for her out of this one video that wasn't great content because we put it together very cleverly so you don't necessarily have to have loads and loads of video but we call it a showreel but that showreel needs to tell the story it needs to more or less tell everything that the client needs to know without having to go on your website and go to your profile to make it as easy as possible for them to get a synopsis it's your advert you know it's your tv advert and it should be short two and a half minutes ideally three minutes max 
it should have a little introduction about who you are on it to say this is my profile and this is why you're, you're watching me video clips testimonials if you've got books or articles put them up as well a bit of music not over the talking though please because we want to hear you talk and um and that's it simple as that really i, I know a lot of speakers have um got longer videos but people's attention span in reality is quite short yeah i think I, yeah, that's very good advice there so so it's really it's just about telling that story in two and a half minutes and the quality is it could be an iphone video if it's got the right stuff in it is that is that fair i would prefer that it's a film uh, it's been filmed at an event with an audience i would say that's important that where you're speaking it's with an audience and do you know what if you ask a client to film you more often than not if they're of a certain level they will be filming anyway or if you say to a client i'm creating a show can i bring a camera with me and bring a couple of cameras with you it doesn't have to be a huge expense but video is absolutely critical today it's vital excellent i guess it's it's part of that quality assurance as well in terms of what people are getting one, one of the i suppose if you're only doing two and a half minutes i think see some speakers they'll put a whole 45 minute keynote on their website and i just think well, two things occur to me one is you know you've basically done the talk i guess it's the comedian in me because you know as a comic you've got if you put your, your jokes out on the internet it's very difficult that you know you can do them but people have seen the joke and it's kind of it's it's kind of lost but is that you know once it's out there people can just go and look at it is that a mistake not necessarily a mistake and i do see people doing that and that's absolutely fine where you need your show reel is when you're actually trying to get in front of a client so for example with a, a speaker bureau we would put forward four or five people to a client and so the client is looking at videos of four or five people. Now, are they going to sit and watch a 45-minute video? No, they're not. That's why the showreel is so important. And in fact, they'll usually watch the, a bit of the showreel first to see if they like the style before even they go into the detail of it because they're trusting the bureau has put the correct profile forward. So if you're competing or if you're even working directly, that client won't necessarily come just to you. They might have gone to other speakers. So you need to put yourself in, in a good position and that I think is a good idea to do. If you want to put a whole 45 minutes, that's fine. You're right once it's out there. If you've got jokes on there, which many speakers use in their content, it's out there, it's been heard. So I think you have to be careful. It is your IP. So I wouldn't advise it to put the whole lot. I would, I would say clips are better. There are clients who will want to see a whole video, but then you can share a link with them rather than put it out to everybody that's really interesting it's just it's just hit me I, I must be a slow burner on this one but so my, my background in corporate world was was in hr and effectively what these show reels are is is the cv before before they even get to the bio in some senses I sometimes guess. yeah sometimes yeah we we prefer we like to watch television we like to watch movies we like to see uh, the video in here it, it's the easiest way for somebody to assess you what most clients would love to do is to actually see the speaker live before they book them. It's not possible, you can't do it. it. You can't get around all these people, you can't get into all the events. Especially if you're booking speakers from abroad, it's even harder. So the video is the nearest thing you can get to it. Brilliant, thank you. Cool, I, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I think, and, and you can correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, it's quite a challenge to make a living just speaking, unless, you're potentially a celebrity unless you're one of the top experts 
Is that true, first of all, do you think? I only work with the top experts. So, <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> so, so I'd yeah. have to do a survey. I'd have to, so the guys I work with tend to be, they tend to have a day job as well as speak. But the day job is incredibly well paid because they are of a certain level. So they're all doing very well, thank you very much. Uh, if you're starting out, I think it's very hard. Absolutely, I agree with you. It takes a while, but even if you talk to the guys that I work with, some of them will have been working in their areas of expertise for many, many years before they've started getting paid to speak. Many will have spoken for years as part of their job, unpaid, and then later on, they then get approached because they're recognized now and suddenly they're now earning the big bucks. It's not a quick thing. People want everything fast. It doesn't happen fast. You're, you're right, I think. And I think there's a, there's, you hear some massive numbers, and I'm going to ask you about fees in a minute, but you hear some massive numbers coming from the States of you know $20,000 speaker and $50,000 speaker higher all right. Okay. <laughs> Maria's frantically pushing her hand. You, got, you can't see her. I can. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest number you've heard? Million. Wow. Is that for your sort of Gary V's? I can't name names when we're talking fees. Otherwise, I'd have to kill you. Oh, fine. <laughs> of, that, of that ilk. Of, of I'm, that ilk. I'm not going into that. Oh, so, all right. So you, can go, you can go up there. But let me tell you. In America, it's an incredibly different market that they started appreciating and paying experts to speak way before we got into it in Europe. We're way behind and they understand the value. Plus, a lot of the corporations out there have huge money. So the fees in the US are considerably higher. The fees in Europe are not on that same level. I have got that sense, actually. It does. And it's not, I think it's not just for speaking, but for things like uh, for, for workshops and things like that. I think the budgets in America seem to be a lot more. If you are a, you, based in the UK, I mean, I, I, the, the podcast, I have American listeners. I have listeners from all over the world. And you guys in America, you're very lucky by the sound of it. So if you are a UK uh, speaker, is it worth looking to get into the American market? And is that something that is easy to do? And is that something you're bureau does as well i think the answer is where is your audience if your audience is in america then go to america but if your audience is in scunthorpe then stay in scunthorpe <laughs> there's, there's no you have to go where the where the business is and some people want to go to america because it's america and america has higher fees because they have much bigger audiences i mean some of the conferences that are held in the u.s we couldn't get all of those people in a venue in europe there just isn't a venue that size so that's one of the great things that everything is bigger in the u.s you see the fees are bigger the venues are bigger the audiences <laughs> are bigger so I, I think you have to establish yourself in a market so if you decide america's the market that's fine but i would say that if you are in the uk and you're competing with americans You've got to remember, you've got a, an airfare to add to your fee straight away. So you're more expensive straight away. You're unknown straight away. So you're making your life very difficult. You're not competing on an even playing field. In Europe, you've got a much better chance because actually you're local to the European market. So I think you've got to, be, you've got to really think about why am I going to America? Cool. And, you know, for, I'm, I'm curious about Scunthorpe. <laughs> Nothing against Scunthorpe, but I, maybe there's some business that I'm going to check Scunthorpe out for, for, my, for my speaking and storytelling. Excellent. Okay, cool. And so what advice would you give? What's the most important thing a, 
a, who for someone who wants to become a professional speaker a paid speaker what should they be focusing on if they've got a good story or they're an expert what, what's their first sort of five moves if you like five goodness gracious that's going to stretch me now five moves okay what, i think <laughs> your, your top tips here <laughs> my top tips i think the first thing is understand the audience the audience in a corporate and business world is probably not the same as the audience you were speaking to in order to become a proficient speaker if you are a speaker who is coming from the ranks of wanting to be a full-time speaker and i'm making some assumptions here because i don't know what the backgrounds are so know your audience and therefore ensure that your message is tailored to that audience and make sure that your profile will appeal to that audience and that decision maker so sometimes people don't adapt their profile to think okay how does this relate to business it might mean changing the language of your profile as well so that's how many tips is that two or three that's quite how, good yeah <laughs> and, and, and be ready you know make make sure everything is presented properly before you you go out there and then look at who your competitors are and really understand your competition and what they're delivering and understand what differentiates you from them Brilliant. so i would i would do that excellent so that usp that that niche that that thing is is really the key to focus on because otherwise why would they hire you and not the other person basically they might hire you because the other person's not available oh okay that happens so it's not bad to have two or three competitors in your area because they're not going to be able to cover everything and every event so and especially if they're doing well you think wow okay there's a market here excellent and what is the typical i mean again you may not be able to say this but you know just to manage people's expectations or aspirations if you like what would be a typical fee for a speaker who is just moving into paid um what could they expect to be paid for a gig? It's difficult because, again, this is the level below where we start. So I'm imagining that when you're starting out, you're probably charging hundreds of pounds as opposed to thousands of pounds. And, and again, this is an area that I don't know as much about. Mm -hmm. When you get into the bureau, if you're charging less than a thousand or two thousand pounds, we're probably not going to even pick up the telephone, to be honest with you. And the majority of events in the UK, the majority of budgets are usually between the, the three and 10,000. So those are the sort of average levels. And then you've got obviously the big budgets, which are much bigger audiences and much higher expertise, or you're looking at celebrity names. And for that 3,000, let's say it's 3,000, that would be for a 45 minute keynote. Would they need to be doing workshops in addition to that? Or is that, is that straight keynote talk? It could be a 15 minute talk. It could be a 45 minute talk. It's not necessarily for a workshop. No, many speakers don't deliver workshops. The majority of them, in fact, don't. They will be delivering their keynote. Mm. There are a much smaller number that will deliver masterclasses or workshops. Excellent. OK, cool. There is also a huge number of people writing books. Mm. Uh, is that something that a speaker should have in their armory to give them more credibility and more authority? Or is, is that not? as important to you as, as people think it is? I think there's varying opinions on this, but personally, I like a book. I do really like a good book, a good business book. And I like to send them out as a business card, if you like, to clients. So if I've got a book that tells me exactly the expertise that the speakers put down for me, 
I like to use that and say, look, Mr. Client, have a read of this. This, this is quite useful. I love books and I've got, I, I don't know if you can see, but I've got, I a, can. Yes. I've, got a, I've got a very clever shelf behind me with, with the, and they're all piled up. And if I touch it, they're all fall over. So, <laughs> but I've got books everywhere. I've got piles of books to read, to read, to read. And I just take a whole pile of books every time I go on holiday. My suitcase is always overweight because I literally sit on my lounger and I just devour the speaker's books. So I'm a huge fan. And I can't do the Kindle thing. I have to have a, a, a book where I can make notes, I can scribble, I can write, I can tear pieces out. They'd be horrified if they see what I do to their books. <laughs> but no, I, I, I love a good book. Yes, definitely. Excellent. And, and, a, and a sort of final speaking question. What do you believe makes the difference between a, a good speaker and a great speaker? That's really interesting. I think a great speaker understands exactly what the client wants in terms of outcome and they know what the client wants their audience to feel like and what they want wants them to behave like and delivers that so i think the difference is somebody who really really takes the briefing seriously and really gets to the heart of what does success look like for you mr client when i've come off that stage i think that's a great speaker when they achieve that Brilliant. Okay. And one more question, just because it occurred to me. Um, they're coming through you as a bureau. Is there interaction between the speaker and the client, the corporate client or whichever, or whoever the client is before the event? I'm assuming there is, but I'll just double check that. There is, and it varies bureau to bureau, but generally each speaker and each client, they need to have a briefing, whether that's face-to-face -face or on the telephone. The client needs the opportunity to make sure that the speaker understands this is what's going on in my business, in my event, and this is what your participation is bringing to it. And that's the chance for them to ask questions and for the speaker to tailor and prepare and make sure that they're a great fit. Sometimes they don't interact until that point. Other times a client may want to have an interaction before they make a decision. Sometimes they want to interact all the way through the process. So it can be on a case-by-case -case basis. But yeah, absolutely. Um, every single speaker, I want you to have a briefing with the client beforehand. I don't care who you are. I don't care how important you are. I don't care if you're a former president. You are doing a briefing call with my client. Okay, cool. You've heard it here. Don't go to don't don't go to MFL if you're not prepared to do briefings. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. There's some brilliant tips there for people. And I think, you know, obviously you're dealing with speakers at a particular level, but there are lots of tips there that you've given for people aspiring to get to that level and how to get there and obviously how not to approach <laughs> people like you. Um, good. Okay. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests and it's going to be an interesting take uh, coming from you, Maria, but what is the best thing that speaking has done for you? I think the best thing for me is that I am learning every single day. My brain explodes every day. There are times when I sit on the phone, I'll give you an example of one of my speakers, Bo Lotto, who's a neuroscientist. I come off the phone and literally my brain hurts because I can't keep up with the genius that is that, that is Bo Lotto. So the fact that I am learning all the time from my clients, from my speakers, because our clients absolutely um, stretch us because they're constantly trying to be better and better and better. So they're coming to us with all sorts of challenges and areas that we're then sort of researching and trying to find the right people for. So I think it's the ability to learn. I thought I would have finished studying and learning, you know, when I finished sort of 
you know, all my exams. But actually, I've learned way more in this business. And that's what I love very much. Okay. And what's the worst? I would normally ask a speaker or one of my speaking guests, what's the worst kind of gig? What's the worst thing that's happened to you? Maybe, maybe you've got a story about what's the worst thing that's happened to one of your speaking clients on, as, as a speaker. Oh, goodness. I, this process, see, I, I can't pluck an example. Out of it. I, I'll tell you what the worst thing is, not to do with speaking, but to do with me, is memory. I, have, I struggle with my memory these days, and I think it's information overload. There's just so much information that you're trying to take in. So the worst thing for me is that I will be having a conversation with a client, and I've literally booked a speaker 100 times that year, and I can't remember their name. <laughs> That's my problem. But it could be an age thing. It might not be information. But that's the worst thing that's happening to me at the moment is my memory. And it's, it is there. It's there. It just won't come out at the right time. And then I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'll shout that name out. <laughs> and my partner will look at me strangely and think, what's going on? Because I get it. It comes back, but not when I need it. Oh, dear, dear. So you, you, I bet you've got some strategies around that, though. <laughs> yeah, I have to write everything down. I have to write everything down. Absolutely. And, and I actually, I think this is the thing of, of information overload that we've all got. We've got notifications coming at us left, right and centre. You've got Skype, you've got social media, you've got Facebook, you've got email. You've, it's just overload. And in a way, that's partly uh, what bureaus are great at, because there's an overload of all of these speakers that are out there who should I go for? Okay, let's go to Bureau because we'll thin down that list. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, and then final, final question. There is a book called Think and Grow Rich by a chap called Napoleon Hill. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so in it, he has that mastermind group of, you know, people who he runs ideas past. If you could pick three people, they can be fictional, non-fictional, alive or dead, to be your three mentors, who would you choose and why? Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Ah, oh, that's a very good one. Um, so I actually have mentors. <laughs> so uh, do I embarrass them and tell you who they are? I, I will embarrass them and tell you who they are. So one of my mentors is a, one of my speakers, Jamil Qureshi, and he is a performance expert. And he's worked with some of the top sports people in the world. And he really helps me with my mindset and just staying in the right place. And you know, especially if I'm tired or grumpy or feeling very female that day. <laughs> so he mentors me and he, he keeps me in the right frame of mind because mindset is absolutely vital, I think. And then I would say, who are my other two? Um, I've worked a lot with a, a, a guy called Jim Harris, who you may not know, who's Canadian. And he's been very generous to me for many years. He's he was the head of the Green Party in Canada, but he's become a bit of a guru on the digital side. Um, and he's also an innovation expert. And he's fantastic on basically being a great sounding board to bounce crazy ideas by. And so I found him very helpful. So, so those two are my main ones, really. But I also internally have a fantastic resource in my team. And they get sick to death of me running ideas by them. I... I I imagine, but they are very patient and tolerant and listen and, uh, and then tell me when I'm going completely off piste. I love that. It's nice to have, have that. I've not had that from anyone yet, their team. And I, that, uh, that gives me another insight into, into your organization, I think. Uh, nice one. Very good. Well, 
all I need to say to you is, well, first of all, I do, now I don't know whether to say this actually, I normally ask my guests, you know, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you do? But I, I'm not sure you necessarily want everyone from, from the speaking club. But if, if people want to follow you on social media or, or do want to find out a bit more about you, how can they do that, Maria? Actually, Sarah, I'll tell you what, they can contact me. I, as I said before, that, you know, 20 of the speakers that approach me, one will get taken on. Many of them are not of the right level. And as I've said, you know, we're trying to be human to human and we do feel bad. We don't want to say, you know, we can't take you on. I've actually started very recently. I started a Facebook group called Speaker, Speaking Business. Sorry, get that. let me do that again. I started a Facebook group called Speaking Business. And it's really to help people with the commercial side and to help them with these kind of questions. I can't do it on a one-to-one -one basis, but I'm sure that the people that are listening who are starting out one day are going to be the people that I'm going to go after to say, I, I want you. And I'm going to be pointing at them. So I'm thinking if I gather them in a group and start helping them get there a bit faster, when I go after them, they're going to say, yes, Maria, I, I really want to work with you and be with you. So they can get in touch with me in that way and we can interact in that way and they'll find a lot of resources. So some of the things we talked about, I created a document about showreels and I've shared that in that group. I've created a document about how to approach bureaus and I've shared that in that group. So there I'm happy to share resources and help educate them and do exactly what I said earlier, which is, you know, go to people who can move you, fast track you more quickly. I invited Jamil in there because he is one of the most successful speakers on the circuit. He works two days a week and gets paid to speak three days a week. So that's the standard he's at. And he's being very generous and helping too. And my team are in there to help. But also the other resource is Mary Tilson on my team, whose background is in executive learning and can help people really hone their content. So I think it's a great place to be. Brilliant. So that's on face, a Facebook group and it's called Speaking Business. Yes. I will put a link to it in the show notes. That sounds like a great uh, resource and a great opportunity for people who want to, to get that stuff. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insight and your advice and your tips with us today. It's not often you get to look on, you know, on the other side of the fence, um, but it's been really valuable. And th thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that behind the scenes look at the speaking industry and Maria really delivered some great insight for anyone looking to become a professional speaker. As ever, thank you so much for listening to the show. I love putting them together for you and I hope you get value from them. And if that's true, I would be over the moon if you could leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. And also, you can send me a tweet, as I always say, on Twitter. I'm at SarahArcher15 with your suggestions or your speaking questions. I'm happy to, uh, to touch base with you on there. But otherwise, all that's left for me to say, as usual, is have an amazing week. And until next time, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Club podcast at www.saraharcher.co.uk. 